Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I am sitting down with Anise Davis discussing things around dialing back. Hi, Anise. Hey, Heidi. How's it going? Oh, it's going quite well, thank you. Where are you now in the part of the world? Or what part of the world are you in now? <laughs> right now, I'm based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Nice. Is it sunny or is it raining? It's actually raining today, but it was sunny for like three days straight. <laughs> it was gorgeous. Yeah, we've. you know that uh, we recently opened an office in Amsterdam and it's every time I think about it, it's like, it's always raining in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. It's always sunny here. But uh, And oh, by the way, I promise that I will not talk about the weather anymore on my podcast. Every time I start <laughs> a podcast, I end up, one time we were like 12 minutes in still talking about the weather. So done, no more weather. <laughs> It's so popular. It's such a popular topic, especially here. I know it, it's a it's a rain breaker. Did you get that? It's, uh, <laughs> never mind. Boom! Boom! Oh, boom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, so let's uh, so um, let's dial that back a notch. Uh, I could just keep <laughs> on going with the one. puns. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. Okay. So anyway, you and I were speaking some time ago, uh, and this topic came up of you know because you were one of the early adopters of of kotlin right you were a you were a could we call you a cleaver like a believer no right i will stop yeah um, i can't yeah i do don't you, know what's the best one kotlinite kotlinite Co- a kotlinite <laughs> oh kotlinite is actually quite it's like kryptonite kotlinite you were yeah. a kotlinite and you you know you've been using it for how many years now yeah, it's about like two years. Well, maybe longer, actually. Two and a half, close to three years now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and we were discussing, like, you know, how things have evolved over the period where you've been using Kotlin in the sense of, like, you know, what you were doing in the early days, are you doing now? Right? Yeah. And so... You know, we were having this discussion. I said, let's just do this on a podcast. It'll be much better. And and we'll have more puns. And I gladly agreed. Yes, you did. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, just looking back, I'll say, what was I doing with Kotlin in the beginning? Well, in the very beginning, I was just writing Java code in Kotlin. That's what I was doing. And when I look at code from back then, it's so obvious to me that that's what was taking place. Um, And it makes me a little sad, but I think at least I was eager to get going. Do you think you realized it at the time you were doing it? I mean, do you think people generally realize that? No, not at all. Because initially, um, well, I was pretty familiar with Groovy programming before I started doing Kotlin. So for me, it was very familiar. It felt like, oh, okay, yes, we have these like, lambdas like closures and groovy and different things it felt very familiar to me but then with the vial and the var and nullable versus non-nullable all of that felt so different from what i was doing day to day with java that just using those things alone made it feel like wow i am programming in kotlin you said you were doing groovy beforehand right yes is it the same scenario there? Do you write uh, Java and Groovy in the same way? Or is, is it more similar to the way that you would write Java? 
I think the way that I wrote Groovy Code was uniquely groovy because I was also operating in the Grails framework. So this was back when I was doing like web and API developments before I stepped into the Android world. I was making like several apps and APIs using Grails and Groovy. And so that approach is sort of how I learned Groovy programming before uh, Gradle, before I was even really big into Gradle and using the build tool and everything. I was all about programming these apps and APIs and Grails with Groovy. So I do think that code was much more, I'll say like idiomatic groovy code than it was Java. Because it was also kind of constrained a little bit by the framework, if I understand you correctly, right? Yes, uh, you, right. You basically had quote unquote placeholders that you would have to fill out with certain patterns, etc. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, let's say like we move forward to today, kind of what are some things I'm doing? I think the main thing I'll say, which sums up my current uh, approach to writing Kotlin code and to modifying our existing Kotlin code is like the DLR principle, uh, which basically means doesn't look right. <laughs> so when I <laughs> see some code and I see that like <laughs> it doesn't look right, then that's when I say, okay, I am like at this point thinking <laughs> DLR principle um, is that I, I mean I've never heard of that one and I'm like should I go to Wikipedia and start typing what DLR is yep I just made it up but I it's honestly what I do so I just I look at some code and if it doesn't look right then I feel that there's something missing here there's something that we are either overusing or there's some feature of the language that we're not taking advantage of. Um, and it's so you've essentially yeah. you've essentially defined uh, the 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 coefficient that everybody uses for code reviews, right? <laughs> Doesn't look right to me. So on a scale of zero to one, this is zero point six on the DLR scale. But it's so powerful, especially when you've been programming for like years, decades. You get used to what good code looks like it's it's hard to say like definitively yes we use static code analysis and we have some other tools that we try to put in place to say these things define what makes some code good but honestly it's just through like experience and time and app after app and api after api and release after release that you kind of get a feel for what does good code look like you started to measure your dlr when you were writing Java with Kotlin? Is yeah. that where you started to say, well, this doesn't look right to me? I think initially when I first started, it was like, hmm, this looks a little weird, but it's Kotlin. And I felt that that was okay. And now like fast forwarding to today, when I look at it, I go, yeah, okay, this is Kotlin, but this is too much. Like for example, sometimes I'll see some code we have where it's like, it's, 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 it's everywhere uh-huh yeah and it's so confusing if a new person comes and they look at the code they literally have no idea what is the it that we're referring to and what is this code doing to it and actually which it is it doing it to um it so is that, complicated <laughs> it is so i told you there'll be puns <laughs> uh we had a warning in the beginning we did um, 
but but, yeah, the, but yeah. let me stop on the it's for a second because a lot of people would argue and say yeah but you get the type hinting in the ide and i just feel like that's not good enough <laughs> no i completely agree with you like i yeah, i, I actually enough. switch off type hinting but i i'm 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 completely with you on not too many nested it's. And in fact, it's one of the things that we have always kind of encouraged from the team as well, right? Which is don't do too many nested it's. And yet you're already finding it in, in code bases. Yeah, because I think that was the first that was the first pass. We wanted to use let everywhere as an example. We wanted to let all the things. And then we wanted to mix it with with and apply and also and it just became a really confusing mess and that's one thing that I've kind of been dialing back in fact I rarely use also anymore because I just find it not so obvious to see what the code is doing and I have a couple of weird scenarios like setting up some dagger things where I'm creating a new instance or a new component and it's like apply also let and it, it's a mess. Yeah. So do you think that these functions should generally just be avoided or used in moderation? I feel until maybe someone is at a certain level of understanding Kotlin and really embracing lambdas, lambdas with receivers, higher order functions, maybe they should just avoid it and stick to simple if using some sort of design patterns, creating more abstractions and not getting caught up in trying to see how many different uh, special functions they can apply to their variables. Okay, but then there is a stage where you feel then it is okay to adopt these constructs. Yes. I do think so. Like once I can wrap my head around when should I use run versus apply versus let with also when I can really say, oh, this is the perfect scenario for also. And everyone on my team from senior engineers to junior engineers can understand and agree, then I think that's a good choice. But if we have anyone in that chain who says, wait, why are we using also here? Then I think, no, then we just shouldn't use it. Right. And, and this is a point that comes up time and time again, which is how do we deal with this? Like if you're a team of five people and let's say that, you know, you've been stable for for six months, you've not grown and you're like, OK, so we've reached a point that we're more or less all of us are comfortable with this. Let's start using some other constructs. And and we're talking about let apply with and all of these uh, higher order functions here. But, you know, taking it to the next step, you come into the realm of functional programming and then using other constructs that people may not be familiar with, right? Beyond the filters yep. and, and, and the maps. And so where do you make that change so let's say that you're five months in six months in everyone's up to speed okay let's start to introduce these new constructs suddenly your team grows do you start dialing back do you what do you do there one thing that i like to do on my team is we have these bi-weekly mobile work group meetings where we're just getting together we're looking at code 
we're looking at our application and we're seeing, hmm, maybe we can take advantage of coroutines now, or maybe we can use this new aspect of the Jetpack components, or let's think about a way we can better split up our background job classes or whatever it is. I think when teams can have this regular cadence of getting together and discussing the technology and the actual like real world applicable use case of it, and everyone has the buy-in and you kind of like document it somewhere, then that seems like a good place to incorporate it. Um, even one thing I've been thinking of doing for us where I'm getting really frustrated with like weird use of let is just creating some custom uh, lint checks to, <laughs> to look out for some of these weird behaviors and just flagging it so that other people can say, oh, okay, right here, I just did this weird thing with the let and the lint warning came up in the IDE to say, consider search and search or whatever it is that we want to do. But some way to enforce it uh, for everyone and also just for new people who come onto the team. Yeah, I guess it's like always an internal problem that we always going to have, right? And I, again, initially when we started out, Kotlin, I used to go and say to people, you know how some other languages, let's say, for example, Star, uh, Scala has a style guide? Because they would ask me, like, why isn't Kotlin as flexible as, uh, as Scala? And I'd say, well, you know how Scala has a style guide? Well, we want to try and build that style guide, in a sense, somewhat into the language in, in terms of restricting, like, constraints in what you can do, right? And, right. and Kotlin is still far, far from all of the versatility uh, that that you the, of of things that you could do with Scala, right? It, it's way more restricted still. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, people start to twist and turn the language any way they want, and we do have style guides. You can call them inspections. You can call them linters. You can call them documents on the web. At the end of the day, it's all about the same thing, right? Trying to uh, you know adapt to a certain style of how you write code in Kotlin. Yeah, and it has to be like accessible because few people will write their code and have it approved through some sort of code review process. It's in the app, and then they're going back and looking through to say, oh, okay, can I do something better here? Does this, let me pull up a style guide and see if this uh, violates any of the principles in the style guide. Whereas if it's like right there in your face and your IDE as you do the, you know, the horrendous code, you're more likely to say, oh, wow, okay, I didn't realize that, I don't know, I shouldn't mix let and also and apply in a weird chain like this. So yeah. I, do, I do think we could help developers who are still trying to learn and grow by providing more of that like right there in the tool they use every day. So do you do code reviews? I do. Okay. And yeah. when you do a code review, let's say that you have, uh, how many people on your team right now? Right now, there's three. Three. three uh, yeah. So let's say three, five, whatever. And uh, there's four people and a new developer joins. And let's say they're a junior developer. Do you get the junior developers to do code reviews on on code submitted by senior developers? I do. <laughs> and I think it's very important because I want them to see what changes are needed to implement features and how they take advantage of the language. And then one issue I had is that one of the junior developers seemed really nervous to put comments on the code 
or today would just say like thumbs up or great, you know, but that nothing else. So I encouraged him. I said, look, ask one question on every pull request. Just one question or just one, one statement, one something to show that you're involved and to get you to be more comfortable to just make comments on someone's code who's more senior to you. And you never know what you'll learn. If you say, hey, I've never seen this use of the filter before with a member reference or whatever it is. Like, what is what do these two colons mean? I mean, this is your way to learn. So it doesn't like any question is good and valid. And it's just a way for everyone to try to learn and for the senior person to practice their skills of explaining these things. Like they're just using it. But can you explain to someone else why you're using it? Bring up a couple of points there that I want to elaborate on. Uh, one of them, of course, the reason I'm asking you this is because this could definitely be a way for for you to know where, uh, you know, quote unquote complexity is in the code because of taking use of certain advanced features of the language for newbies, right? If the yeah. newbie is looking at the, the novice, is looking at a code review done by a senior developer they cannot they can be you know not accustomed to to some of the idiomatic ways so it's a good flag so to speak right yep but and i think that's that's really interesting and i think it's nice uh the question there of course is how do you as you said like you know how can you give junior developers this reassurance and this you know trust and um not have them fearful of commenting on on some code that you know everyone else on the team understands but they're new to right so you're saying you take this approach of ask at least one question yeah which i think is quite interesting as well that generally that works it does work i mean you also have to model behavior so i'll just jump in sometimes into a pull request and say hey, why did we choose this approach here? I mean, because it helps all of us to learn and it also helps push, like I said, the person to try to explain why they did something and it sounds it down more for them as well. And I mean, I just feel like code is not sacred <laughs> and we don't really own code. And I like the fact that everyone on the team should feel empowered to comment and ask questions about things especially like the way the industry is now where people cycle through companies every two to three years, it makes sense that you'd want all your developers to understand code and to be able to modify it and um, explain it to someone else. Yeah. Now the next question is, which also is very valid point that you made around senior developers learning to explain themselves and also showing empathy towards uh junior developers how do you avoid the senior developers getting a little bit tired of having to <laughs> somewhat repeat themselves over and over again with the same explanations or doesn't that occur yet I yeah that's a good question i think well one thing i personally do is i won't just like say oh because i like let or something I'll say, well, this is this and that. Here's a great link to an article that breaks down the difference between let with and apply. I keep it bookmarked. 
So then that way, next time they have some issues around let, hopefully they'll refer to the article first as their reference. And I won't have to always answer the same questions again and again. But then if I do answer the same question like two or three times, then I create a page on a wiki somewhere and I like link to it off of our main um, app resource because obviously I either didn't do a good job or it's easy to forget or it's so complex or complicated that it's better I write this thing down or create a diagram for it or something like that. So that's one way uh, we can 10x ourselves is by writing documentation. And that that's what I would try to default to if I find myself explaining the same things again and again. And again, that's very interesting and a nice thing to do in terms of documentation. Because, uh, yeah, I like that. I was going to say the next step is you just say, let me Google that for you. Now. <laughs> I'm not <gonna> even... <laughs> I actually thought of leading a Google workshop because <laughs> I feel I'm so serious. Someone will say I Googled it and I couldn't find anything. Like... And I'm like, okay, wait, what did you Google exactly? Like, show me your search terms. And they're like, no, no, no. Okay. If I'm going to Google this, I'll copy this part of the problem. I'll type Kotlin and then Android. I'll use this, like I am so good at Googling for things because I don't want to go past the first page. I want to find the answer yeah. right there on the first page. Yeah. And you got to know how to use the proper keywords. I know, you know, it's like how many years uh, experience do you have as a software developer should be just reformulated to how good are you at Google? Because <laughs> essentially, I mean, you, you always see these tweets of everyone and it's like, I, you know, I still have to look up how I copy arrays efficiently on Stack Overflow, or or in my particular case, I always have to look up how to do regular expressions. And you know, a lot of the questions, a lot of the problems that we solve revolve around how can we find it online as opposed to, oh, let me sit back and you know analyze this for six years. <laughs> right. It's true. Yeah, totally. It's reality. So now coming back to some specific features. Uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to actually, someone asked me recently. Uh, I was giving a a talk on Kotlin. Oh, me giving a talk on Kotlin? Weird. Anyway, I was giving a talk on Kotlin around uh, functions, and I was, you know, using a lot single expression functions. And someone came to me and said, "Oh, you know." You can, since unit, the you know the type unit in Kotlin, uh, is the default return type for uh, a function, and a function therefore returns a type always, which could be unit. Do you recommend writing functions that return unit as single expressions? And to be honest with you, I'd never ever considered that, right? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a, yes. a function and it, you know, they were very much against it. And they're like, you know, you need to put this in the style guide because and you need to put hints in the IDE because we're getting a whole bunch of people in our code bases writing uh, functions that return unit as single expressions. And it's really confusing because we don't exactly know what it's returning. We have to sit there and try and evaluate. What do you think of that? I prefer not to use the single expressions 
like if I can help it, I mostly would just use the standard function with the return type because I don't know if it's just from Java world. There's like that legacy in my mind that I want it to be like super obvious. This is a function with these curly braces here. Um, especially in the case where it's not returning anything. I do tend to just do it as a regular function instead of as a single expression. Um, but in that case, like, I don't think it has to be in the style guide. I just think as a team, they should decide what they want to do and then do it that way. I'm, I'm also against like hard and fast rules for everything. So as a team, I think it's more important that they're all on the same page and then they stick with it versus, you know, hear ye, hear ye, everyone who uses Kotlin do it this way. Yeah. And again, for me, I like, I've never, I'm, I generally do use single expression functions where, where I f feel that they're okay to do. Uh, I've never, to be honest with you, used them when the function returns unit. Um, so that's why for me, it was a little bit surprising that someone would, but again, it's something that the language allows you to do. And apparently some people do it. And yeah, I think it's the DLR principle, right? Something about it doesn't look doesn't look yeah. right to you, so you just skip it. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't do it that way. There's no real explicit reason why one over the other. If it just doesn't look right, then it's like, nah, no, something about that doesn't look right, so I'm just going to not do that. Yeah, I'm going to use that DLR for everything right now. Like do Literally, it. moving forward. Some, <laughs> someone shows me a, an article, I'm just going to say DLR. <laughs> You know, absolutely do it uh, make it a movement exactly uh, we, we decide on something on a meeting i'm like dlr <laughs> why no just dlr just dlr you know you're gonna go down in the history books as anise davis dlr yes the dlr principle my one contribution to society <laughs> that's awesome well to be completely honest with you uh that is not so far-fetched from <laughs> No, seriously, listen, it's no not so far-fetched from the single responsibility principle because it's so easy to say that, you know, any a, a class should only have a single responsibility and now define what responsibility is, right? Yep. Because that's the hard line to draw. Yes. Um, so, yeah, totally go for it. I'll, I'll support you. We'll actually make a Wikipedia page after this. <laughs> so... What other things? I mean, we've we've already covered uh, nested its. Uh, you also mentioned that you try and stay away from overuse of some of the functions in the standard library in terms of the lambdas with receivers, such as apply, let, with, etc. Are there other things you have dialed back? Yeah, definitely. One thing that I initially was a huge fan of for some reason is default implementations uh, for my methods and interfaces. Um, and I don't know, I just, it was appealing, like, great, this is an interface, then everyone else just gets this implementation. And I was warned off by them by some folks in the community. So I will put that out there. But that made me want to use them even more because I'm stubborn. So I started using them in some of my interfaces. And now two years later, I've removed their use in the code because it's just like it's slightly problematic because in some instances, maybe your implementation yeah, needs to override it and change this and change that. And it, it kind of lost some of the benefit and appeal that I initially saw. So now I don't use 
default implementations uh, in my interface classes. So that's another thing that, you know, looking back, I no longer take advantage of. Okay, fair enough. What else? Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, I used to also put all of my extension functions for a given class in the same file. So let's say, just as a concrete example, I have a user class and I'm creating some extension functions and properties for user. I would just kind of put them at the top of the file. And initially that was great. So maybe I had two or three. It's right here with user, life is good. Then come you know, to nowadays, maybe I have 10 or 15 even extensions or something. And it just started being a mess and making the code look unreadable. So now I put those things in a separate file. So if I have a user class, I'll also have a user extensions.kt file and I move them there and it just makes it easier also for me to like unit test just my extensions separately from the actual like user class. And I feel that it helps with code readability and maintainability. Do you generally put more than one class in a file? I am totally not against it. So I don't see any issues with that. So I would do it, especially like, well, sealed classes. So I just kind of put them all together in one file. Or let's say I have some eventing framework that I use. So I'll put all the events together for one sort of feature. So maybe I have like uh, users that have different events. I'll just say user events.kt. And then I'll put all the different data classes for those events in the one file. Right. You see, in C-sharp, you are much like Kotlin. And one of the refactorings that we had introduced in ReSharper, uh, which is uh, the plugin for Visual Studio, uh, was that you could take a class that had, sorry, you could take a file that had multiple classes and say, refactor this file and, and split up the classes into individual files associated with the class. Oh, and that's nice. I've become very accustomed to that because when I look at the project view, I like to see what is a class uh, and and know that that file essentially contains that class as opposed to having you know, a file containing multiple classes because I feel like in a way, I know that you can search by classes and everything in, in the IDE uh, with, with you know, direct shortcuts and et cetera. But right. when you're not sure of a code base, when you open a code base, I feel that sometimes having this project view and, and having the structure and maybe some grouping per package uh, or folders, having these individual files associated per class is a little bit more discoverable and easy to follow. Having said that, much like you, I do make the exception to the rule of, for instance, seal classes, they're always in the same file, right? Um, right. Extensions always in the in, in their own file, much like you. Uh, so, but to the extent possible, I do try and keep one class per file when I can. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I'll say here's another case for why I think that's valuable is more and more, especially in the Android community, we're modularizing our apps which I find is a very tough word to say, but yeah. So modularizing our apps these days and being able to sort of say, here's some interface class that I'll keep in my base module. And then I'm gonna start breaking away and separating things into 
separate uh, discrete modules. It's much easier having um, just the interface class in this one file that I can keep in base and then moving different implementations, different places. Um, so by kind of separating the files, it also makes it easier for you later as you continue to grow your application and you want to start separating things into discrete modules. And, that, and I find that uh, also like very compelling. Um, one weird thing I've been doing recently is programming in Dart. <laughs> so I'm doing a, a cross-platform development with Flutter. And uh, yeah, we probably could have a whole separate show on that, but... <laughs> No, Something. this is talking Kotlin. Right. It's not talking Flutter. Like, what the? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna completely censor this part out. What were you working with? Did you say again? Uh, Dart. <laughs> Something about Dart. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's similar things. I think the more languages you know, the more you can kind of take positives and negatives and kind of find some sort of consistency across them. Like, like Kotlin, Dart does allow you to have multiple classes in the same file. And I kind of see like where I'll go, hmm, this doesn't really make sense here. Let me just split this out uh, by itself. So I think just in general, it's good practice, you know? I, I think you've hit a bullseye. Oh, yet another pun. I'll stop. <laughs> um, but it's it's a very good point because I think that it's really important to learn different ways of doing things, especially when it comes to languages, different paradigms, because it gives you a fresh perspective on how to solve the same problem. And you learn so much from one language, one framework to another, right? I mean, if you look at our industry, we're basically copying things one from another, right? I mean, everything is essentially a copy of everything else. I mean, even Kotlin is inspired by so many languages from, from the past and, and from existing languages. So it's really good to, to actually do that. I definitely recommend it to people. I know like a lot of us are strongly connected to whatever our associated developer community is. I mean, obviously I really love the Android community, really strong ties to them, but also just bottom line, I'm a developer, I'm an engineer. I like to solve problems. That's the core at what, you know, of what I am. And so from there, it just makes sense to explore and to find out, well, what are some other ways that people are solving problems? What is something I can borrow from this and move to here? Um, even I was like, well, maybe I should tell the Dart people some of the amazing things of Kotlin <laughs> that they need to they need to borrow ASAP to make it more enjoyable to program in their language. Um, but I just uh, I do find it really helps you to learn how to learn and um, to just be true to the core thing of what we are as we're engineers who are trying to solve problems. Exactly. But let's not pigeonhole ourselves to a specific technology or or framework. Right. Exactly. Cool. Well, I think we're short of running out of time, actually. Uh, but it was uh, really good chatting with you. But before we finish, I do want to ask you, what would be, looking back over these years that you've worked with Kotlin, what would be the biggest mistake that you would say to people to avoid doing? I think the biggest mistake... If you are going from an existing Java code base, would be not to apply 
the nullability annotations before you move your code to Kotlin. I think that is one of the biggest mistakes and one of the biggest headaches uh, that we've experienced with the switch. So to be clear, because I kind of, I don't know if there was like a double negative there, but you were, you're saying that <laughs> you should apply nullability annotations before converting to Kotlin? Yes. So one that was like one big mistake we made. We moved some classes from Java to Kotlin, and we just said like, okay, convert to Kotlin. And we didn't have nullability annotations in the Java code. So then the Kotlin converter wasn't able to do the smart thing and put the question marks where it needed to be, et cetera. And we would just say like, okay, it works well for us. And we'd write some tests and we'd run it and it looks good. But there was always an edge case where something was nullable that we didn't realize could be nullable and we'd have crashes in the app. And I just like that to me was the biggest mistake. If we could do it again, I most certainly would have put the annotations everywhere in the Java code. Yeah. Or, and then, because that, that happens, I mean, I don't know if it happens so much now, but in the early days when, when people used to do that, there was a lot of ranting that, oh, you know, Kotlin promised us not null pointer exceptions. And look at this, my code has null pointer exceptions because you were just converting code and a lot of people were also just using the double hash bang and saying, oh, I know that this is going to always be the happy path, right? right. Until it isn't. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That, that's a good lesson, yeah. I mean, I don't think that generally people do that. Uh, so it's definitely worth considering. It's the first cool. time I've heard it on the show for sure. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. So anything else to wrap up? Um, No, this has been awesome. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It was great chatting with you. Okay, bye, Hadi. Bye, folks.